0: Please, if you will, turn in your Bibles first to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 5. It's our scripture reading this morning, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 5. Then our sermon passage today is Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. We'll begin reading at chapter 2, verse 15, just to uh, gain a, a greater context. Our sermon passage uh, particularly focuses on chapter 3, verses 1 to 5 of the book of Galatians. So again, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 5, and then Galatians 3, 1 to 5, but I'll start reading at chapter 2, verse 15. Brothers and sisters, just to remind you that this is the very Word of God. This is the breathed out Word of God. There are many people who go in search of God's voice. They want to hear what he has to say to them. This is the Lord speaking to you and to me. And it is deserving of our full attention now as it is to be read. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 5. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, Beginning at verse 15 and reading through verse 5. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? This ends the reading of God's holy word. Let us pray. Our gracious God, again, we've already prayed this, but again we offer to you our thanksgiving for your word. We're thankful that we can sit and hear it read to us. What a privilege it is, O Lord, to be in possession of your word, to read it and to hear it read as a body. We pray that your spirit would be with us now, that he would guide us as your word is preached. We pray for his blessing upon the preached word that he would guide the one who preaches, and that he would give understanding to all of us who hear. And we pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now in the passage that I just read to you prior to our sermon passage, chapter 2, verses 15 to 21, Paul makes the point that even Jews like himself, like Barnabas, who had preached the gospel to the Galatian Gentiles, even Jews like himself and other Jewish believers, Jewish Christians who were raised from birth in the law, even they know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, why is he reminding them of this? Well, if you remember anything about the book of Galatians, this letter to the Galatian churches, you'll remember that. That they were in serious trouble. It was a group of, of Gentiles and perhaps Gentile churches. They had been, uh, they'd come to faith in Jesus Christ, the preaching and the teaching ministry of Paul and Barnabas and perhaps others. But at least those two. And they now had reached a crisis point. He's writing then to a primarily Gentile audience. And he finds it very strange that these brothers and sisters in Christ who weren't raised in the law from birth that they are now trying to put themselves under the law. And it's under the law by, with, in relation to justification, that they believe that somehow they are going to merit salvation. It's as if justification by grace through faith that it has been tossed out. They're trying to put on the yoke of slavery that Jewish believers like Paul have gladly left behind. Paul was no longer trapped by a religion of works-based righteousness and he wants to prevent others from falling into it and he cannot believe what he's seeing among these brothers and sisters or what he's hearing about among these brothers and sisters in the churches at Galatia. And so in our passage, he reminds them of not the works, but the work that saved them. It was a reminder because they already knew about it, but they were forgetting. When Paul... It was among them. When he was there in Galatia, when he was preaching to these people, he painted a portrait for them. It wasn't done on paper or canvas. It wasn't done with ink or oils. He painted a portrait for them with words, through the preaching of God's Word. And this portrait that he painted for them, it was a portrait of Christ crucified. This was the answer to the Galatians' infatuation with works righteousness, He's pointing them back to the portrait that he painted. He's pointing them to Christ's works righteousness. Because it is by his works, not theirs, that they have been counted as righteous. As we make our way through the sermon today, brothers and sisters, I would ask you to to keep this thought in front of you. The Holy Spirit, by the power of God's word, has set you free from enslavement to sin. Do not fall under the spell of the law. Again, the Holy Spirit, by the power of God's word, has set you free from enslavement to sin. Do not fall under the spell of the law. The sermon this morning is is faithfully a three-pointer. And the first point is a portrait of Christ. The second, alive by the Spirit. And third, bewitched but not forsaken. So again, the first point, a portrait of Christ the second alive by the Spirit, and the third bewitched but not forsaken. So let's now consider the first uh, section of the sermon, A Portrait of Christ. In the beginning of chapter 3, Paul writes, O oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Now, the tone in this verse is very similar to his tone in Chapter 1, verse 6. In fact, he holds this tone, he sustains this tone throughout the letter. He he, there, in chapter 1, verse 6, expressed his astonishment at how quickly the Galatians were deserting the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. A different gospel, which he describes as not a gospel at all. He can't believe how they have turned from the truth. Who has bewitched them, He, he asks in our passage. And F.F. Bruce, he translates the word in the ESV, bewitched, he translates that as hypnotized in his commentary. And, and I think we could, we could get that, that being bewitched, being hypnotized, these are two similar concepts. Now, I don't know what you think about hypnosis. I would have described myself as a, as a, a hypnosis skeptic prior to the time that I spent in, in, in the military overseas in Bahrain. And, and while I was there for that year, uh, there was, a, there was a, a British pub, the Warbler, uh, that British expats and uh, service members would go to. And it was, only a, it was actually kind of nice. We had a little sticker on our ID. Uh, and if you had the sticker, you could get into the pub. If you didn't have the sticker, say you were one of the poor uh, sailors uh, from off of the ships that would frequently come into port there in Bahrain, uh, you couldn't get into the Warbler. Uh, it was just a select few. And, and we, uh, we few and we proud. We were very proud of that. There was a British pub there that we would frequent, and they quite often would have these entertainment acts that would come, and they had a little stage in one corner of the of the pub, and one time they had a, a hypnotist come and do a show, and in many ways it resembled what would have been a sort of a magician's show. Um, now thankfully, I was skinny as a rail then, you might not be able to picture that now, uh, I wasn't portly uh, in the way that I am today. Uh, But I say that because the most muscle-bound Marine in our platoon, if not the whole company there in Bahrain, who happened to be at the pub that that night, he was picked uh, among eight or nine others who were there uh, to go up on the platform to be hypnotized. And again, I I would have been an avowed hypnotist skeptic. But I could not believe what the hypnotist made this Marine do. He had no idea what he was being made to do. Because he was the most muscle-bound, because he was the biggest guy up on the platform there, he was utterly humiliated, but he didn't know. He sincerely did not know. And the only way that he found out was because there happened to be a Marine in our platoon. Now, Now, bear in mind, and especially those of you who are a little younger, uh... That back in the late uh, 1990s, early 2000s, there weren't such things as cell phones with cameras built into them. But this Marine, I think he was a, a private first class or a lance corporal, he, he had a, 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 a video camera that he took with him about everywhere, and he, and he videoed it. And this poor Marine, the muscle-bound Marine, uh, who had been humiliated, who knew nothing about what happened to him, when he watched the video the next day, he was brought to tears. He could not believe what he was made to do on that stage in front of 100, 200 people. He had no idea. He was under the spell of this hypnotist. And again, it's not magic. He didn't... Do anything, and there are lots of studies that have been done on hypnotism, and you could be a susceptible person, and and all kinds of things. And in some ways, uh, modern uh, American church worship—hopefully uh, uh, not here at Mid Cities or in the OPC—but uh, there there is a there's a type of almost a, a hypnosis that people can fall under uh, uh, in certain types of worship services. I couldn't believe what the hypnotists made this Marine do. He was the biggest, toughest marine in the platoon. He couldn't believe what he was made to do. And similarly, Paul cannot believe what the Galatians are now doing. How quickly they're abandoning the faith. It's as if they have fallen under a spell. It's as if they've fallen under the power of a hypnotist. And so Paul continues in verse 1 and he says, It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Before your eyes you saw him and now you are abandoning the crucified Christ. You're abandoning the work of Jesus Christ for your own works in favor of your own good deeds. And so Paul is taking them back to that first, that first time that they encountered Jesus Christ on the cross. But, but think about this for a moment. None of the readers of this letter that Paul is writing to the Galatian churches, none of them were present at the crucifixion. They didn't, they didn't see him. And he's obviously not referring to a, a photograph of, of Jesus on the cross. So what is he talking about when he says that Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified? Well, Martin Luther, in his commentary on Galatians, he says that, said that Paul means here a verbal picture painted before the hearer's eyes. It's a vivid description of the crucifixion of Christ. Jesus has been portrayed to them as crucified through words. And our own J. Gresham Machen paraphrases uh, paraphrases Paul in verse 1 this way. He's paraphrasing, he says, The story of the crucifixion was made so vivid as though a great picture of Christ on the cross were being held up before your eyes. Now, they didn't have... Obviously they didn't have cameras, they didn't have video record camcorders back in that day, but they had, they had the ability to draw, they had the ability to paint, they had the ability to make uh, statues or icons of, uh, of various uh, forms. But Paul says none of that is what happened. He didn't come into Galatia when he was on that missionary journey toting a big uh, a statue of Jesus on the cross. Instead, he depicted Jesus on the cross with his words through preaching. And Paul himself in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 describes the gospel as the word of the cross. Paul here is reminding the Galatians of the centerpiece of the gospel, the agonizing death on the cross of Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God. He's reminding them of what first drew them to faith in Christ, the preaching of the gospel by Barnabas and himself years before. He's drawing them back to that, to that firm foundation of the Christian faith that was established by God's word being proclaimed to them. Now, this begs the question I think, why would God make preaching to be one of the primary means by which he grows his church? That's the biblical way. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what Paul teaches in most of his letters. Why would God entrust the sacred gospel to mere men? It seems like he should have have chosen angels like Gabriel or Michael to proclaim the good news. Instead, he chose men like Paul, who did not preach with words of eloquent wisdom so that the cross of Christ would not be emptied of its power, as he said in 1 Corinthians 1.17. And so it is with words that Paul painted a picture of Christ words and specifically the word has primacy in the church and we are an image-based society we are an image saturated society we give preference to the image over the written word the spoken word the preached word we do this all the time i mean you don't have to raise your hand but how many of you prefer to watch the movie rather than read the book Sometimes the movie, occasionally the movie's better than the book, but most often it's the other way around. But we're a society that is, that is we place the primacy the, the, on the, the visual image. That is not what the Bible does. The word is primary. The word is central. And so it's a portrait of Christ that was, heard rather than seen, and it is ordinarily the hearing of God's preached word that leaves, leads to saving faith. as Romans 10:17 says, "So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. It seems like such an inefficient method. but God, in his in- infinite wisdom, chose the meekness of the preached word as his primary means, not the only means, but the primary means to call people to saving faith in Jesus Christ. That brings us to the second point, alive by the Spirit. In verses 2 through 5, Paul asks a series of rhetorical questions centering around a single subject, the Holy Spirit. He asks there, let me ask you only this, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? see, Paul understands that, that it wasn't the works of the law that got them into the kingdom, it wasn't the works of the law they're working; they're, they're keeping the law that, that, that made them justified. And it's, it's not their keeping the law, their works of the law, that's going to keep them justified. He's drawing them back to their birth, uh, the, the birth of their faith in Jesus Christ. He's reminding them of their receiving of the Holy Spirit and what caused the Spirit to come to them. Paul is reminding the Galatian churches of the origins of their faith in order to prove to them the uselessness of the law in salvation. The keeping of the law, Paul is saying, cannot save you. It didn't justify you. And it's not going to keep you right with God. The miracles that Paul speaks of in verse 5, just skipping down there for uh, just briefly, those miracles that he speaks of, they are proof that the Holy Spirit was given to them. And that was long before they were told they needed to observe the law in order to be saved. They were Gentiles, they weren't raised in Judaism, but they had Judaizers who would come in. And that's exactly what they were teaching. Did you remember Peter was was rebuked by Paul? Because he too was coming a bit under the sway of these Judaizers. At one time he freely sat with the Gentiles. He ate with them. He wasn't observing uh, the, 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 the dietary restrictions of Judaism any longer. Except when the Judaizers came. And then Peter seemed to give it up. And Paul rebuked him. It was the Holy Spirit who made them alive in the first place. And as Paul says in verse 2, they received the Holy Spirit by hearing the word with faith. They had those ears to hear that Jesus talked so much about during his public ministry. Now this answer to the first question that Paul asks in verse 2, it's obvious to the Galatian readers, it should be at least. Of course they received the Holy Spirit by hearing with faith, not by works of the law. And Paul hopes to convince them that each of his other questions will be answered in a similar way in verse 3 he asks having begun by the spirit are you now being perfected by the flesh and the hope for answer here is no just as we are made alive by the spirit we are also perfected by the flesh that's I'm sorry, perfected by the spirit excuse me that's a big mistake to make perfected by the spirit I ask the same question of you and of me are we who were begun by the spirit are we perfected by our works of the flesh No. He asks in verse 4, did you suffer so many things in vain? And he hopes that they will respond, we have suffered many things for the sake of the gospel because through hearing it and not through the works of the law we were saved. What Paul is saying is that if they are now resorting to works, to a works-based religion, in other words, if if they're reverting to the Judaism of Paul's youth, Even though that was not their youth. If that's what they are doing, then they have suffered all that they have suffered as Christians in vain. It means that they did not truly believe at the beginning. And then in verse 5 Paul asks, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And he's hoping there for them to respond by hearing with faith, not by the works of the law did God do these things. In other words, their they're keeping the law didn't prop the Spirit to come along and do what he did. He is repeatedly repeatedly taking them back to the basics. He is reminding them of who they are in Christ Jesus and of all that the Spirit has done in and among them. They had gotten away from the simple truth of the gospel. They had traded it in for a sophisticated system of self-reliance, a salvation based on their own works instead of the finished work of Christ. And brothers and sisters, we do the same thing today. It's not just the person who uh, outright converts to a works based religion, whether it's Islam or Mormonism or Roman Catholicism. It's not just that person. We too, sitting in this room, we have the same tendency because we forget that everything needs to be, that, that needs to be done for our salvation was already done for us by Christ on the cross. After a few years of walking with Christ, you and I start to think that we've now become strong enough to save ourselves. We can stand on our own two legs, thank you very much. And we start to rewrite the history of our own salvation. We start to portray ourselves on the cross, suffering and earning our way into heaven. And then we do, and we do, and we do, until we've heaped up a big pile of works that does nothing, nothing to save us from our sinful estate. And against all of this, Paul says, no, it is Jesus who has saved you. It is the Holy Spirit who has made you alive and who is now making you perfect. It is all the work of the Lord. It's all the work of his Spirit as he applies the work of the Lord to you. It is not what your hands have done or are doing that saves you that makes you right with God or keeps you in a right relationship with God. It is the work of Jesus Christ that takes us to the third and final section, bewitched but not forsaken. What has happened to the Galatians? What, What would cause Paul to yell, Oh foolish Galatians, what has bewitched you? Well, something has indeed bewitched them. It's not that someone literally had cast a spell on them or hypnotized them. Instead, they have come under the influence of the Judaizers, as we've already mentioned. All their talk of works of the law, it sounded pretty good to Christians. And this this creeps into the church in every generation. If it ever left certain parts of the church, it creeps back in. There are some churches that are wholly devoted to uh, this idea of works righteousness. These people were being led astray astray by this false teaching that had crept into the church. Bewitchment can take on many different forms. For Adam and Eve, it was the words of Satan that bewitched them. He enticed them to think that they could be just like God by disobeying God's command. For Samson, it was confidence in his own strength that bewitched him. He thought he was strong enough to protect himself from the schemes of the Philistines and the wiles of Delilah. For David, the power of being king had bewitched him and so so that he was unwilling to resist the sinful desires that were there in his own heart when he gazed upon Bathsheba. Bewitchment takes many different forms and you and I are susceptible to it because we rely on ourselves rather than on God. And the bewitchment of the Judaizers is still present in much of the church today. Why? In some cases, it's those purveyors of a work's righteousness. They come around and they want to add to Christ's works your works. They want to add to faith in Jesus Christ, faithfulness to Jesus Christ. They want to add these things to it. And the Bible has no place for those things. We think that we can rely on our own strength We think that we can rely on our own intelligence, our own ability. And so we are easily led astray. But you, brothers and sisters, you have been given the Holy Spirit, like the Galatians. You have been made alive in Christ. You have died to the flesh and to the law. And you have something that the Galatian believers did not have. though They had the Apostle Paul. They met him in person, they, they, they were the blessed recipients of His letters. They did not have God's complete word in per- permanent written form the way that you and I do. And just as God spoke through da- spoke to David through Nathan. Just as God spoke through, uh, to the Galatians, through Paul, so God speaks to you through the Bible. It is His word. But like the Galatians, you've got to hear. Like the Galatians, you have to be made able to listen. And so when you read, O foolish Galatians, you've got to hear, O foolish me. You and I, we have to be willing to put ourselves in the ugly places described in Scripture and not just identify ourselves with the so-called heroes of the faith. In fact, all of the heroes of the Bible... Except for one, Jesus Christ, all have big blemishes on their records. And so when we read this passage this morning, did you hear it as if Paul was speaking to you? Are you aware of how easily you can be led astray? How easily you can be bewitched? Paul wrote this letter to the churches of Galatia. These were believers whom he was describing as foolish and bewitched. Nathan spoke to David, a man after his own heart, after God's own heart, who was still able to fall into grievous sins of adultery and murder. We are all prone to error. We're all prone to stumbling. We must not become so bewitched or hypnotized that we can't see our own sin when it's staring us right in the face. But thankfully, God has not left us alone. He hasn't forsaken us. The Lord caused Paul to write this letter to the Galatians. We don't know the outcome. We don't know exactly what happened after they received it, after they heard it read. We don't know if these churches got turned around. We don't know if they stayed under the influence of the Judaizers or if they rejected their teaching. We don't know, but we do know that God did not forsake them. He sent someone after them. And He does the same thing for you and me when we stray into a works-based religion. God uses the same words that he spoke to David, the same words that he spoke to the Galatians to speak to us. God's grace brought you salvation in Jesus Christ, and God's grace will see you all the way to the end. God will regularly bring you back to the cross of Christ his once for all time death on the cross for all of your sins. God will cause you to remember that his death, Christ's death, covered a lifetime of your sins. And so when you do sin, you don't, you don't need to flagellate yourself. You don't need to, to beat yourself up. You don't need to somehow figure out a way to atone for the sins that you have committed uh, in order to make yourself right before God. Christ's death never stops being effective for those who trust in Jesus Christ. But keep this in mind. Even you who believe are capable of being seduced by the world or being seduced by your own infatuation with yourself. But keep this also in mind. That just as God's word by the power of His Spirit brought you to salvation in Christ, so his word has the power to wake you from your slumber, to shake you out of your enchantment, to bring you out from under whatever it is that bewitches you. Because when you and I, when we are unfaithful, and we always are to one degree or another, God is always faithful. When our faith weakens, when it wanes, When we go through hardships and face severe doubt and questions, we need to remind ourselves that God is always faithful to his people, to those who belong to him. Why? Because before you ever knew him, he knew you. Before the foundations of the world, in love he predestined you. Despite all of the heinous sins that he knew that you would commit, he set his love upon you, and he sent his son in love to live for you, to die for you, and to be raised again for you. And that is the promise for all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, brothers and sisters, is good news. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we thank you for this good news. We thank you that it is not our works that save us. It's the work of Jesus Christ. It's his obedience to your commands. His obedience even to the point of death on the cross. We pray, dear Lord, that we who may be bewitched in some way or other, we who may be tempted by the theology of the world, of a works-based righteousness. We pray, dear Lord, that you would wake us up from this spell. That you would call us out and remind us of the salvation that is ours as a free gift, not based on any works that we have done. We thank you for the salvation in Jesus Christ. We pray this in his precious name. Amen.